This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog! Hello, small business warriors. I'm Joel Volk, and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. As I look back at my years in business, I remember that there are many, many times I needed a lawyer to just poke their nose in and take a look and see what they could do to help. Sometimes I just needed advice on a lease. Other times I needed to have a contract that a customer wanted me to sign or a vendor wanted me to sign and I wanted someone to look at it. Sometimes I had to worry about employment law. Other times I needed to change my corporation, make partnership agreements, things on that level. So I'm very proud that we are sponsored by a firm that specializes in these types of things for small businesses. Coincidentally, it's called the Small Business Law Firm. Scott Williams is the principal attorney at the Small Business Law Firm. He's the go-to guy for anything related to small business matters. I like to think of them as the Swiss Army knife for your business. So when you're ready, and even if you're not ready, keep it on hand because you might be ready sooner than you know, call 855-5-BIZ-LAW. That's 855-524-9529. Ask for Scott, mention the Small Business Cast, and remember they're a great resource should things get ugly. Today's guest is Danny Davis of Pearl CBD. Danny has a keen eye for creating efficient processes while bringing out the very best creativity from his team. My conversation with Danny is fast paced and very informative, with the hope that as a small business person, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Danny. Hopefully, you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. I think if you were to describe me, I mean, uh, if we were to start the interview right now, you'd probably describe me as a person who tries to anticipate other people's inefficiencies before even they do. Uh, that's sort of a blessing and a curse, by the way. Yeah, I think I would describe myself the same way, ex- except for I, from reading about you, it seems like you're that on steroids. It sounds like <laughs> that, is, that seems like that's the product that you've created for yourself on some level. It, the, the, yeah. it, the widget is almost secondary, but that's the talent that you bring to it. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always had a knack for um, identifying um, problems. I've always been hypercritical of, you know, people and situations, which is um, tough when you're uh, managing people. But what I found is that I'm really good at managing process and I'm not so good at managing people because I expect this level of, you know, high level of efficiency that um, I seldom get from other people. I'm pleasantly surprised when I do. Um, But what I realize is that I don't even really want most people to be that efficient. Um, I really want them to be creative. I thrive on the creativeness of other people. And as long as they do what they say, then I don't have to micromanage them. I think the biggest problem right now, um, and we're going to see this happen with coronavirus and, and the out, you know, sort of the coronavirus and then the um, effects of it. But a bunch of people are going to be left to work on their own. And inefficient people are going to falter quickly. And those who are, you know, sort of managing their own processes efficiently, I think will really, really strive in a situation like this because they're not going to be micromanaged like they were in the past. I think you're exactly right. The people I've been speaking to are really going to have to adjust their hiring processes. They're going to have to vet people um, a little bit differently. One of the things I've noticed in managing people my whole career is that uh, people are like rubber bands. They, they, they have a natural form and you can if you put pressure on them, they'll, they'll fit the form that you want them to have. But unless you keep the pressure on, which is not always easy to do, they're going to go back to their natural relaxed state and relaxed state better match what 
you want as a, as a manager or as a business owner because uh, otherwise it's gonna be the wrong fit for you and you'll never know that until it's too late uh, because you can't manage them the same way if they're remote. Yeah, you know, I, um, I go back to the concept that I've, I've said for a long time, which is, um, and to many employees, which is I will break you to fix you. And, um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a sort of a weird wow. way of saying it, but, um, but meaning a lot of the processes that they've become accustomed to, you know, uh, as a coach, uh, for a long time, I was never the most, uh, super athletic person in the world because my body wouldn't do what my brain would, would knew what to do. Um, but I'm pretty good at coaching because I know how to get the best out of people to, you know, build efficiency in them, especially people with natural talent. And, What's interesting is a lot of times people just come in with bad habits. Um, salespeople have bad habits. Um, all these people have bad habits. But I think it's important that people understand that whatever you've learned in the past may not be the way that it's supposed to be done. And that's my concept of efficiency, which is there's always a better way of doing something. And I remember telling a story to one of my employees about 10 years ago when I got into my, really my first, one of my first companies that I started. And I told a story about uh, UPS or FedEx. I can't remember now which one it was, and I don't want to be misquoted. But one of them was, was testing out a theory that all their drivers are only allowed to make right turns. Right. Because they had determined that left turns were a waste of time. And I think that the end result, uh, don't quote me on this because it's a while ago, but I think it was they saved an average of 13 minutes per route, just making only right turns. And I, and I thought this was a really interesting strategy. So I presented it to a group of employees. And I was, the concept was is that, we are never at optimal uh, efficiency and there's always a better way and maybe we'll figure that out. And I remember one of the employees looked at me and said, that has nothing to do with what we do every day. So this not, doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I basically terminated that employee, uh, not that soon after, uh, for, <laughs> for, for other reasons, but uh, you know, not being on board with company culture, especially that uh, you know, trying to drive for efficiency is, is you know, it's just not going to work out. And um, so I'm curious to see how this goes over the next couple months here. By the way, I think that was UPS that only making right turns. Yeah, I think it was. I was yeah. guessing between the two. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that story. It's funny because um, uh, I, if you talk to my wife, she'll, she always tells you that I, I won't do lefts. I, I try to plan my routes always to not make <laughs> left turns. And I always said if I was in a retail business, I would not accept cash. Right. I, I think cash is the most inefficient thing in the world. It's just a recipe for disaster. and it contradicts the rest of what I would say in terms of customer services. I would never take, I would never put unnecessary speed bumps into people doing business with me. So those two things contradict each other. I realize it, but if I can minimize the amount of cash coming through my retail operation, I know I would increase my, my, my proficiency completely. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what, Joel, I took a company public uh, a year and a half ago when a large percentage of our income was cash because um, we had patented a, a piece of equipment for the cannabis industry and a lot of our customers paid us in cash. And I can tell you the horrific nightmare that it was taking a company public in the US, getting a financial, you know, full you know, audit done uh, on cash transactions. So, uh, you know, to take it one step further, I, I hated it. Um, I, I personally don't write anything down. I don't have sticky notes. I don't have anything on my desk that is written. I don't, I don't write anything down unless it's an email, a note, or something on an iPad or typed, I won't even accept the information. So if I'm on the phone with a customer and they say, I'm just going to tell you something, I say, no, I'm not going to write any of this down. So I've actually refused to become inefficient at the sort of inconvenience of others. But the ultimate, the ultimate goal is, uh, is extreme efficiency. So 
I come off as difficult sometimes. You know, they say, oh, I need, I need you to write this down. And I say, no. You have a couple of different companies. You have your holding company. Pearl CBD is, is a product of your holding company, correct? No, product of the lab, Origin Labs. Origin Labs. So if you think about it in a hierarchy status, uh, offstage holdings is at the top, and then underneath that are each lab independently. They're all independent C corporations. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was that your goal is to disrupt how your competitors do things, and you actually put it in a very aggressive way. You say you want to challenge them to do better than you. And yeah. I, that was really an interesting. First of all, it creates a high bar for yourself. And it also invites people, it puts you on the radar of people that want to hurt you. Yes. So it's counterintuitive to me because I love running my business under the radar. I don't like my competitors to know I even exist. I try, I try to be really, really, I don't know, I wouldn't use the word sneaky, but I would use the word stealth. I don't like to, I don't like to broadcast the great things we're doing and, and the unique things we're doing. I like them to be between me and you know, my staff and my clients. And so you seem like you're the opposite. This, we're doing it, we're repackaging it, we're making it better, we're, we're, we're doing everything better than you, and come, and come and chase me. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, you know, it's unique. Uh, I think that, you know, I have a background in fighting. I was a, a fighter for a long time, uh, mixed martial arts and some other stuff um, growing up. I was a scared kid who joined that and then became a, an aggressive kid. But what I've always wanted to do is challenge the best, you know, and I don't even say competitors a lot of times. I say leading brands um, because I don't know if they're actually a competitor. I don't know who will end up swallowing who at some point. Um, but I like to be in people's face. I'm confrontational when I'm very con I'm confrontational when I know I can back it up. And so when we, when we set out on to do this, I wanted to be the most transparent, the mo most authentic, authentic and most educational brand on the market. And when I compared what the other companies were doing, it was almost, uh, too easy, uh, to be honest with you. And while they may have a couple more marketing dollars than I do, uh, we've been very successful at raising capital. So I think we can be extremely competitive and um, I like the magnifying glass, to be honest with you. Um, there's a bit of an ego there too. I, I don't mind being um, out in front and um, you know, I, I would say I probably have a voice uh, for, you know, extreme competitiveness, maybe a face for radio, um, but, uh, but a personality for, for television because I think I'm a little bit controversial and, and edgy, but also at the same time um, I'm really, really focused on, just being disruptive. And I think disruption has to start with you being out there showing how you're disruptive. I don't, you know, I don't like stealth. Um, personally, I want to, I want to be in their face stealth until you're done. I was very stealth for a year to be honest with you. Uh, but after that, I was very loud. So I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Gotcha. So once, once you're ready to, once you're ready to, to fight, then you're ready to take the, you know, not be stealthy anymore. And now let's go at it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about fighting, yeah. right? Fighters, they don't want to show their how they work out, what they eat. They don't want to right. show any of their routine. But as soon as they're ready to fight, they're up in each other's faces, giving press conferences, dancing all around the ring. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of showmanship to it, and I think there's a little bit to, to be said to that about um, this industry too, because uh, we're educating a group of people who know nothing about. You know, there's been so much misinformation. There needs to be a face to associate with it. I think it gives credibility. Um, because a lot of the websites I go to for companies, I can't find anything about the founders, the, you know, the, the farmers. I can't find any information. So, Well, this is going to be a great interview. We're talking to Danny Davis, founder of Offstage Holdings and Origin Labs with their product line, Pearl CBD. And 
we're already just chit-chatting and it's getting exciting. So I better introduce you before we go too deep into this because I think we're going to get people raising their eyebrows and asking, who the hell is Danny? <laughs> Danny, tell us what's your product exactly and what problems do you solve for your clients, for your customers? Sure. So uh, Pearl CBD specifically is one of the investments that we made in order to focus on the consumer. And what I mean by that is three primary things. Number one, uh, authenticity. So you know you're getting an authentic product and it's not some knockoff. Um, number two, education about that product. Um, and number three, transparency about that product. So what we did is we um, built a patent pending technology using the open source availability of uh, NFC, near field communication. So just put a little microchip in your label and now you can take your phone, tap it to any of our products and see your pre-formulation testing, post-formulation testing, all within an FDA registered in an FDA registered laboratory and uh, soon hopefully to be NSF certified as well, which will be one of the first uh, CBD companies to be NSF certified. So, so it's uh, all, CB, all CBD, no THC products. Correct? Uh, the, it's actually they're full spectrum. Uh, they're full spectrum CBD. So we do have trace amounts of THC in there. Um, we believe a, uh, that is a catalyst uh, for the full entourage effect of the plant. Are we talking about topical creams, or what are we are we, what are we talking about in terms sure. of natural Yeah. So we have two topicals. Uh, one's a concentrated uh, cream that addresses some pain with, um, we don't make any medical claims, but we do include glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, and a couple other things in the cream. So there's that, uh, a lotion, a body lotion, uh, sort of a general use lotion. And then uh, two types of consumables, one which is capsules and one is a tincture. So are these products legal throughout the country? Yes. They are. So this, it's unlike weed products. This is for health and wellness, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, so federally legal, uh, we're actually registered with the FDA. Uh, actually, we're registering right now with the FDA. Our lab is, is, is registered already with the FDA and then NSF registered. We've uh, started that process as well. So, uh, yep, available to all. And what problems do you typically solve for your clients? Which, why do customers seek your products out and how do they know to apply them? How do I know to put my cell phone to the product label and get this transparency? Sure. So we solve a couple of problems. Number one, um, the, the three problems that I identified, transparency, authentic, authenticity, and education. That's all solved by tapping your phone right to the edge. And on the packaging, it actually says tap here, a little picture of a phone, NFC, tap here, very easy. No app needed. It's uh, completely native to your phone. Uh, if you've ever used tap to pay, uh, with your device before you have it enabled. Um, so if you have a Samsung 8 or a um, iPhone 7, I think after iPhone 7, you need a, a, a an app on iPhone 7 to, to read NFC, but it's in the actual phone. After that, it's it's native on the, you know, the X and the XS and all that. The other problem we solve is pricing. So we are aggressively priced um, below that of all the market leaders, even though we have more full spectrum quality CBD in our product. And the reason why is we're operating on slimmer margins than they are. There's a lot of margin in the business that's unnecessary. And we went in and undercut our competitors pretty significantly. And uh, just to be sort of in their face about it, after we did that, we issued a press release about it. So <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the press release. It was, it was really interesting. It was exactly what you just said. It was in their face. And it's going to, how does that not create a price war that's a race to zero? How do you protect yourself from that? Well, the great thing is, is that uh, I don't think CBD will ever be considered a full-on commodity because... Uh, you know, we could argue that the biggest commodity in the world right now is bottled water, yet there's 80 different brands on a store shelf. The difference between uh, this and uh, water is that water is readily available at any time as, as a resource to you in your home. CBD is not. Uh, it needs to be extracted from a plant. There's, 
you know, four different primary strategies to do that. And then there's all the things you can mix it with. Uh, and then there's other things you can do with the hemp plant itself, like industrialized hemp. So I think that we're dealing with a product that has a vast amount of uses um, that have yet to even be discovered yet. So that's the exciting part. So I don't think we see commoditization of a product that uh, is so new uh, and, and not new in the sense that it's not been around forever. It's just new in the sense that we haven't known how to fully extract the oil from the plant and use it properly. Um, and I also think that the laws are, are loosening up a little bit. Um, hemp is now federally illegal. Uh, you could even get a, uh, you know, in response to the COVID-19 crisis, you could even get a PPP loan as a, a hemp uh, farm or hemp company. So uh, there's a bunch of different opportunities that are opening up. And, uh, and I think on top of that, it's interesting to see how are we going to be able to compete with others, which is we're going to have to be innovative. And I don't think water companies can really be innovative, right? You have water, you have electrolytes in your water, you have, uh, you know, alkaline water. It's pretty much what we've seen. But with CBD, we've seen uh, edibles, oral care, uh, you know, hair care, uh, all kinds of different um, products. So I think, that, I think that the sky's the limit for what we're able to do. I, so um, I'm kind of excited about the opportunity going forward of different things. Are there CBD for pets? There is, uh, and we are actually currently working on something. We want to be careful to make sure that it's the dosage is proper and we've tested properly. And we noticed that some companies are not doing that, so we don't, you know, we don't want to follow down that same path. Uh, I think oral care. My biggest thing is if we address the market we're in right now. If you think about what COVID nineteen has done to us, not only from a healthcare perspective, but from a financial perspective or economic climate perspective. It is my opinion that people are not going to go to the doctors as often, either for uh, they don't want to be in a an office with people who presumably could be sick or, you know, they may themselves be sick. Uh, and also it's expensive. They don't want to go to a dentist uh, because it's expensive. They're also close contact with other doctors. And I think veterinarians are the same, same thing. I mean, if you want to, if you want to spend a lot of money right now, just take either one of your pet, you know, dogs or cats to the vet, they'll find something wrong. That's and true. so I think, I think that this concept Sorry, of veterinarian friends. <laughs> so I think uh, I think the concept of self care uh, will start to increase, and as that happens, the demand for CBD products will increase. This is my opinion. How did you get started? Where did you get your inspiration? I got my inspiration from bad managers uh, in my past, <laughs> and and I don't know. I don't mean to make that sound negative. I've always had a, a knack for finding inefficiencies in in, in process, and uh, unfortunately, also people. Sometimes those things are mixed. And so I, I always was trying to strive to find a better way to do something. And um, that's how I got started in this. I saw there was a, after taking my previous company public uh, in the cannabis space and being successful there, and I patented some equipment there for the space, uh, I wanted to focus on the consumer. So my inspiration was, let's get technology to the consumer. Let's take the ugliest product available, which is a bottle of pills. Let's put some you know cool technology into it and let's, give something to, to the masses. And so our concept became, you know, pharma plus tech equals trust. Um, and that's what we went to the market with. So my inspiration was efficiency, adding technology to a nascent industry and disrupting it. I, I think it's fascinating. I really do. I, I read that one of your passions is cooking, correct? <laughs> it is. Cooking is very process driven to do it right, correct? You have to think ahead. You have to think in proportions. You have to think in timing. You have to think a lot of different thoughts go into preparing something cooked well. How does that apply to your work, work in business? Are there business lessons in your hobby of cooking? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm really bad at cleaning up after I cook. So I think that the one <laughs> lesson is, uh, the one lesson is, is I think I'm better in business at cleaning up messes than I am when I'm in, uh, in, in the kitchen. But 
uh, I'll say, I, I always know exactly what my food is going to taste like before I finish making it. I know it sounds weird, but I just have the ability to know, and I know what it should taste like in my opinion, you know, in my mind. And so my plan is usually a little bit edgy in the sense that I don't measure every single thing. I just spice it and, 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 <laughs> and treat it until it's properly tasted. I'm a big sauce guy. So when I look at ways of cooking things, broiling, baking, sauteing, all this sort of stuff, what it usually comes down to me is how do I finish it? And it's almost um, this, uh, the same zest for sauces I have as sort of my zest for life. I'm a little a bit over and above most people. If you met me, you'll probably remember meeting me because I'll say something outlandish or act outlandish or whatever it may be. It's the same way that I cook. It's more like um, if you don't like a lot of flavor or a lot of citrus or a lot of garlic or some sort of excess of something <laughs> that's going to be oozing out of your pores for two days, it's probably not a good idea to eat with me. But I'll tell you, Every single thing I cook, uh, I don't know, 90% of it, my children will look at me and say, that, Dad, that's the best thing I've ever had in my life. You know, the people that eat with me are like, wow, that is amazing. Um, now, the caveat is I don't promise you it's healthy. Um, that's where my sig significant other comes in. Uh, I eat her amazing food and, and rabbit food and green drinks and all kinds of stuff so that I can eat the crap that I make uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, my specialty, one of my specialties is, uh, is an, an apricot, uh, cinnamon pancake. And um, it's, I feel like I could just re retire on this one product. I could open a restaurant, serve this and retire, but uh, too much labor involved. Too much labor, right? I need a machine. I would have to invent the machine. Efficiency is such a day. I would have to create a process to make it automatically. Now, I know I do this when I'm cooking. I'm cleaning as I go because I don't like to clean up either. To me, the effort that goes into cooking is rarely, rarely worth the effort it takes to clean up. And yeah. so, so I try to, that's my weirdness and efficiency. I like to put things in the, as they go. I like to have a clean sink as I'm done with the, that which I'm cooking. Yeah, that's what a good chef does. Uh, that's why I'm an amateur uh, sort of asshole, I guess, because I, uh, I, I get it out, I use it, and then I set it aside. Um, I'm probably more of a maniacal cooker than I am a, um, uh, an efficiency expert in, in the whole process, but I promise good taste. I just promise that, you know, if you're one of my children, you probably have to help clean up after or significant other, you know, usually when someone's at your house and they go, Hey, I'd love to help you clean up. And you know, the courteous thing to do is to always say, no, don't worry about it. We got it. I will always say, yes, let's do that. <laughs> so, let's do that. It's very yeah. social. By the way, if you listen carefully, can you hear it? My wife's eyes are rolling as she's listening. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How seldom I actually cook and how, how the mess I usually leave. So that's just to be fair, that's, that's true. But that's my perfect, my perfect storm. Let's go back to your business for a second. What do you see for the future? What obstacles do you see moving forward? And one of the questions that's popping through my brain as you're speaking, so forgive the random nature of this conversation, is you focused a lot about discussing your unique packaging ideas. Is that in concert with having unique products or is that that's the primary function is, uh, is the packaging? Uh, so it's a two-part question. Uh, number one- Probably a six-part question. That's okay. <laughs> I, I'll compartmentalize it into, into, into making it fully transitional, which is this. The first part of that is, I'm gonna reverse the question a little bit. When you ask me about packaging versus you know, the technology versus the product itself. No, we actually wanted to have something amazing inside. We just wanted the, the outside to tell you what it was. So when somebody once said on LinkedIn, when I first posted about this, they said, oh, I just look at that as expensive packaging. 
I said, well, what you should consider it is intelligent packaging uh, because all I'm trying to do is tell you what's inside because that's the problem with most of these companies. Most of these companies, to the second, to the first part of your question, which I'm going to ask, you know, answer out of order, the biggest challenge is that because of all this nonsense has been put onto the marketplace, the biggest challenge is getting people to be relearned on what CBD actually is, what it's actually good for, what it's actually, you know, how it's properly used. So we're finding ourselves having to re-educate the marketplace on, you know, all these CBD products have come out that are nonsense. Um, and so we've actually have a, a, a product that displays exactly how much uh, of every single ingredient is in there. And then we give the consumer the ability to make all these buying decisions based on that. So the, the challenge is retraining them. The funny thing like you don't want to rely on the uh, typical, I think they're called bud tenders, right? You don't want to be on the, you don't want to no. be on that, the typical person working at a CBD store to be explaining your product to your potential clients. Well, especially because CBD, hemp derived CBD in California, you're not even allowed to have hemp derived CBD in a dispensary in the state of California. Uh, oh, really? The commingling of hemp and, and THC products needs, you know, is, is not allowed in most, in, in several areas. Uh, we would think of it on a larger scale, which is think about convenience stores or pharmacies or retail stores. So if you're at a grocery store and you see our product on the shelf and it says tap here, uh, not only can the person, the buyer pull up all this information on the product and get a video of how to use it and what the difference is between other companies and have a comparison right there, which is real time data. We've moved marketing right to the label, which is, I think, you know, amazing feat. But on top of that, the store itself can pull some of these analytics. So now imagine you're a retailer that's, that's receiving real-time information. You, you're seeing geofencing. Uh, you know, we can limit it by geofencing. You can see um, IP addressing. You, you can see all kinds of different data and analytics that you can pull from. Now, we think of CBD being one product in the store, but, you know, our patent is pretty wide uh, and it involves an entire supply chain. So you know, we start thinking bigger, which is what happens when your wife buys that lettuce that you were supposed to cook with, uh, but you forgot to, and now uh, it's been sitting in there and uh, there's a recall. And now you can't remember which week you bought it and you can't, you don't know if it's good, you don't know if it's bad. So what are your options? Well, right now you just, for safety reasons, throw it away. But what if you just took out your phone and tapped the label and then it immediately told you, yes, this is good, proceed and, and hurry up and use this, Joel. Or, this is amazing. This is know. amazing. And this has to be the future of packaging. You must be thinking in terms of that as your real product later, moving on, licensing this to other products. So that's, that's part of our plan. I mean, we, um, we had a, a Forbes article done on us in January. It talks about NFC being the future of packaging. And I believe it, it is uh, for consumers. And, and here's why. There's two other options. And we're getting into the weeds a little bit in packaging, but I promise not to bore the audience because I'll keep it short, which is the first is a QR code. And a QR code is really stupid because whatever your QR code is, I can photocopy your QR code and now it's my QR code. So there is no intelligence to a QR code and I don't like that. Um, so while it's, it's semi-encrypted, it doesn't do anything other than turn you know, dots into words and mine is the same as yours. So that's invalid. The other option is RFID. And RFID is great, but it's more of a B2B technology. My mom doesn't have RFID scanners like on her at, when she's at the grocery store. Uh, but you do have NFC and NFC is already in our phones. It's very easy to put a sticker with a massive lifespan onto any product and the, the data can be dynamic and you can do some really cool stuff with it. So I believe it's the future of consumer packaging. 
and I believe that there's so much intelligence to it. We may see a revolution uh, in what people are demanding. But look, I've known, been known to be wrong. Uh, we tell everybody what's in a McDonald's hamburger and they still eat it all the time. So uh, I myself still like Big Macs. I, I mean, I'm not supposed to, uh, but I do. And so even when you give people all the information you can possibly give them, sometimes they still make a bad decision, but as long as they're aware of the, the decision they're making and it's theirs, that is somehow comforting to us, right? If we, if we choose to smoke marijuana or we choose to eat Sour Patch Kids or we choose to drink a Coke versus Diet Coke or whatever it may be, these are all conscious decisions we're making. And if we have data, we feel good about it. If we don't have data, it feels like we're doing drugs, which is bad, you know? So this is, I think that's the difference. I, I'm fascinated. I can't wait to see where this goes. I think that's going to be super exciting. Yeah, I think um, I think guys in nightclubs should be forced to have NFC chips on them so women can make sure <laughs> that they have jobs and, uh, you know, they are who they say they are, right? Listen, I'd like to have an, MF, an NFC chip just so I can see if the person I'm associating with has COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, its, that's, its own, uh, that's its own debate, right? Even when I present people with data, they say that they don't like the data. So I've almost given up on, uh, I've almost given up on that. Uh, you know, it occurs to me that when I'm standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts, that's the calorie counts are on the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, as long as you're aware of it and you are, uh, you embrace it. You know, I call right. it, I call it acceptance. I feel like we go through these modes of acceptance in our lifetime where we accept something is either good or bad, and then we make a decision to proceed with it. And so, um, you know, right. uh, I think many uh, ex-husbands or ex-wives would say, my, I have accepted that the person I was formerly with is crazy. Uh, the reasons for crazy, I could maybe be accountable for that or not, but I will accept that they're crazy. It's, it's kind of like us. I accept that a Dunkin' Donut is not good for me, but damn, it tastes so good. I'm going to justify it some way, somehow. So I was recently uh, pre-COVID mania. I was in Las Vegas before they closed it, and I went to a place with a friend called Planet 13. Sure. You're familiar with it. Of course. Are your products there? No, we don't have. Uh, we don't have again our hemp derived products in many of the many of the THC retailers, if you will. Our mm -hmm. products are more mainstream, so our products are more focused on the CVSs of the world, typical retailers, pharmacies, that sort of thing. So, so your wide distribution. That's our goal. Yes. Um, COVID nineteen and has taken a toll a little bit on the retailers. I mean, if you look across the board, online retailers of CBD have seen spikes in demand, but retailers that are reliant on stores, just like every other product, are seeing you know a, a swift decline in, in purchasing because the stores aren't open. So I think there's a, a strategy here that's going to change. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, as I'm listening, if I'm trying to think of myself as an audience member listening to this, you know, do I really want to be beat over the head with COVID-19? And the answer is no. But the reality is you're going to hear about this because retailers, you know, and manufacturers, we have to, we have to adjust our selling behavior to your buying behavior. Right. So that's the first thing that we did. We said, hey, you know what? This is going to change how people buy, lower the prices, keep everything the same. And just stop focusing on outside distribution right now and focus on direct to consumer and, and reduce your margins. And that's what we've done. So do you have retailers that have the CVS of the world? Do they have product on the shelf that are saying you just lowered my price? How are they dealing with that? Uh, we've, we've alerted every, con every retailer that we have to lower pricing and um, we've given them the discounts based on um, 
what they typically buy at. So we've given them store credit with us to buy more and sell it at that lower price. You know, so you've really done a good job of pivoting for this situation. You know, I don't know if we've done a good job, but we've done the job, uh, meaning, um, you know, I'd like to see higher demand for everything across the board. Uh, but, you know, it's just an interesting time. So we're trying to do our best. Um, we've actually been able to secure large amounts of financing during this, uh, this situation. I mean, we just secured another large portion of a round um, of investment in the last two weeks. Um, so I think we're well capitalized to move forward for a, a long period of time. Um, and I'm just going to keep pushing the envelope to uh, be edgy and try to, you know, leverage new technology and new products. But uh, there's, there's going to be a shakeout. There's going to be some products that won't come back. I mean, I just read an article that Nordstrom closed a bunch of stores and large percentage of them aren't going to reopen. Right. And, so uh, plantation is gone. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know soup plantation was still open because I think right. it's the worst place to ever eat. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't. No, I agree. I agree. They were probably were, they're probably having the death knells at that point anyway. <laughs> right. Or they'd be able uh, to just, I mean, how hard is it to switch service to serving at the table? If people like your food, they're going to eat there eventually and do the takeout. So my guess is this is more of an excuse than a reason, but but right. this pushed a lot of people over the edge to be sure that we're in that place. Yeah. I mean, if we talk about uh, supply and demand and talk about product, um, you know, one of my friends is uh, a, a really amazing product guy um, and uh, was formerly uh, the VP of product, a senior vice president of product for Tinder and which is the number one uh, revenue generating app ever on devices. I don't know if you know really? that. No, I and, um, and he, and he talks about product every day. If you're a follow him, his name is Brian Norgard. Um, and he's on Twitter and he is followed by several product builders because of the stuff that he says all the time, which is, he's just a very ingenious guy. And he talks a lot about how value is your, how valuable is your product? Do you think it's valuable or does the consumer think it's valuable? I mean, are you too, in, are you too into it to think that, you know, and in and out is one of those perfect examples. In and out is not closing any stores, you know? Right. Uh, and it's not because they, you know, they pay more than others. They pay more than others. They don't have a massive menu, but they have a damn good product. And people that have damn good products are going to survive. Um, and some companies that have good products that people don't know about won't survive. People that have really bad products that people know about definitely won't survive. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And, and, you know, we're all really sensitive to it. I, you know, I don't, I'm curious to see what happens with buying behavior across all products. Um, you know, if you, if you look at products, how many people are buying beach products right now um how many people are buying beach products last year at the same time it's just really interesting for me yeah it's uh this is this is gonna be a big shaking of the sheets for our business society uh we're all gonna learn how to have to do things differently and clean house and do things more efficiently and create plan b's and c's because the contingencies are going to be that which saves the companies that that survive no question about it what what pro do you have any products coming up, up the pipe that you can share with us yeah, so we're actually working on a pet product, uh, as I said, that we, we think that a, a pet chew that com combines the effects of CBD with chondroitin, MSM, you know, glucosamine. Uh, the second thing is we're looking at oral care because we believe that some other avenues of uh, CBD can be, um, have been researched for oral care and there's some positive trends there and positive results there. Uh, and then I think the other side of it is uh, a pivot in one portion of the business, which is some of our B2B business for supplying bottles and, and glasses and, and uh, things like that is become high in demand. Um, so while we're white labeling for other companies, which we're currently doing, uh, we're seeing demand for products that 
reach into the areas of sanitizer, other hemp-related products. Um, so uh, we, there is a B2B portion of our business that's, that's quickly developing. How much of your business is based on R&D then? As far as a total spend, we don't really release all of that, but I would say we spent a lot uh, last year. I'd say we, we spent a significant portion trying to research the, the technology and uh, doing a lot of testing probably more than I would like to spend, I'll be honest with you. But I think going forward, if I didn't like it before, I'm really not going to like it now. Yeah, that's got to be the key to your growth and, and long-term success, correct? Yeah, I, I love products. I'm a, I'm a revenue guy. So if I didn't have the title of founder and CEO, I'd probably be a chief revenue officer because um, I, I love to move product and, and build revenue. But so I are you a top line guy or a bottom line guy? Yeah, I'm a top line guy. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> you know, I'm a... Uh, you know, I'm expensing dinners with customers and, and uh, getting revenue out of it. And I'm sure the CFO would say, you know, you probably could have got that without ever taking that client to dinner. <laughs> um, but, but uh, I will say that uh, on top of, on top of that, I think, you know, there's been a really interesting shift. And I think instead of being a chief revenue officer, um, I think many titles will almost be modified to chief revenue protection officer right? Keeping customers, retaining customers. I mean, the chief, instead of a chief revenue officer, might be chief retention officer. One of my friends, he's a startup founder in Silicon Valley, uh, said, you know, there's maybe an unpopular trend occurring in, in Silicon Valley and other companies soon that the new role is called, I think it's a chief remote experience officer. Yeah. And, and that's trying to generate culture for people that are stuck in their house most of the time. Yeah, if you know your client experience mapping, uh, you have a big jump over your competitors to be sure how do they get from here to there. How do they get from hearing about it to conversion into an order is missed on most businesses. Most businesses are not spending any time or resources trying to figure this out and streamline those processes. And that's really going to be a key to a lot of businesses' success in the future moving forward as well. Especially now when we're getting our information about products from where social media from we're very right. watching we're not watching the evening news and getting the ads on tv and knowing to call pearl cbd and get we're not doing that it's going to be through social media it's going to be through some word of mouth right yeah if we don't know the mapping of how our client how our customers got to us we're not going to be able to duplicate it yeah i you know it's interesting to see this shift you know people tease millennials for you know tiktok and all these other things but i'll tell you what when i think about the value of products like TikTok. I love TikTok for a reason, which is it's sort of infectious. And I don't really know why, um, you know, in, in, in that, in the sense of it's music and it's people dancing and doing stupid tricks and stunts and all kinds of stuff. But what's become very apparent, and you've seen this over Snapchat and Twitter and all this other stuff, it's always apparent when a company is trying too hard. It yeah. always, it always, I, I'll give you that. Yeah. It comes across as a dad trying to dance, like do a dance and be cool on TikTok, you know, it's like, uh, I like Mark Cuban. I love Mark Cuban, but anytime I see Mark Cuban on TikTok, I just scroll right past it. I don't really give a shit about Mark uh, Cuban's dancing. And by the way, he's not doing it because he really wants a, a lot of fame and glory. He already has that. He, he just does it because he, you know, he wants to be remain relevant and sort of, he's sort of self-deprecating because he's not a good dancer. And he, you know, he's, he's upfront about that. But, but I'm gonna say I like the I like the J Lo and the A Rod ones though. Yeah, but yeah, but they're they're different. A Rod's right. just A Rod's just fucking cool, and Jennifer Lopez right. Lopez is just hot and and right. sexy, and, and and they have a good relationship. I think that comes across that comes across as authentic to me. Yeah, um, but it's de definitely produced though, and even though it's you know we're not not talking about big production values there. Sure, it's produced. They're thinking it out and directing it, but it's fun. 
And they do yeah, for- I, I'm all about it. Look, I, there's certain people I follow on TikTok for this, for this reason. And, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend's mom follows JLo on TikTok. Now, why does, the, <laughs> why does a 67-year-old lady have TikTok in the first place? Because right. it's a new, new delivery uh, methodology for, for, for news or information, but mostly just entertainment. Yeah. And what we're seeing is this crossover between, you know what? I don't want to see 50 ads every five seconds. I just want to see people do stupid dances or whatever it may be. And what, you're, what you start to see is that companies, if they are authentic, can do some really cool stuff without really being over the, uh, over the uh, sort of what we call jumping the shark, right? They're, right? they're within the realm of, hey, I sent these products out to these guys. And you know who does a good job at that is Nerf. Uh, Nerf sends all these guns out to all these uh, influencers and these guys are having Nerf wars and people are getting shot in the face. That's awesome. I haven't seen that. That's awesome. And it's, and it's authentic branding because it's like, look, right. this is actually what we do with this product anyway, right? When I have a, when I have a Nerf gun, all I want to do is shoot my son with it. Like no other object do I want to <laughs> shoot more than my son, right? And he's 10s or 11s, so it's perfect. But, uh, but I think that that will become interesting. I think remote employees and how they work with different products, right? We're seeing, I think companies like Staples who were previously probably having a, a tougher time are absolutely doing okay right now because the demand for home office products is is going up. I mean, consumers don't get to buy wholesale rates for uh, mass scale products. So companies that are you know retailing to consumers are probably gonna do all right. Uh, for things like that. So, it's so now I have to give my company a plug because my company, Mercury Document Imaging, that's all we've been doing is helping companies take the technology out of the four walls of the, of the office and bring it to the homes and solving all kinds of security issues that come along with that. And the staples of the world for sure are people in that space. But we're, we're a commercial office equipment dealer and I would be remiss if I didn't interject that right now. That's great. <laughs> that's great. And so, so you're proving my point, which is you guys are seeing that as well. I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, Twitter, for example, just went fully remote, right? They're, they're offering it up to say, hey, look, you work for our company, you can work remote. Um, and uh, what does that do? Well, it makes it so that not every single employee has to be a, a hipster in San Francisco spending $5,000 a month on a, you know, a 500 square foot apartment. It means that new talent, uh, guys from, you know, Canton, Ohio, uh, with maybe not the same educational pedigree or uh, background in tech or any of that, but maybe uh, more desire, a lower cost of living, and therefore a lower wage, um, then interject and become more competitive. So I think it's interesting because now remote work will open up a new market for competitiveness uh, or competition amongst you know, people searching for jobs. So you used to, used to be going against a guy that's in your city for a job that's regional. Oh, yeah. Right. And now you're going against every guy in the country. So what, what advice do you have for someone just starting out? You, you, um, people can't see you on the podcast, but I can, you seem like you're on the younger side to me and you've been an entrepreneur more than a big part of your life. How did you get started and what advice do you have? And then if you can talk about, if you can interchange, maybe you have some mentors that were influential to you as well. And then we're going to wrap it up. So I just want to just kind of throw, like I normally do six questions out in one convers one, one time to hope it kind of stimulates some, some good, you know, multi-level answers. Okay. So I think that first of all, I'm 43 and I probably learned most of my startup lessons when I was in my thirties. So uh, I I worked in corporate America for, for longer than I probably should have, but uh, it paid me a lot of money. And so I I felt almost trapped to stay. So the first advice I would give is uh, if you're really passionate about something, 
you know, I do recommend you getting a background in it before you try to fix it. It's hard to fix problems you don't know that exist, but uh, don't, you know, don't wait too long. Um, the, other, the other piece of advice uh, based on that is um, I didn't have a huge network of money or financing. I don't come from a, a wealthy family. I don't come from a wealthy area. I don't have, you know, I was not in a fraternity with wealthy friends. When you're trying to raise money from people like, you know, in Silicon Valley and things like that, and you're, you know, you're not well connected, it, it makes it a lot harder. Um, and so, you know, my other piece of advice here would be your network is really, really important and you need to find value in everyone, whether you like people or not, sometimes is inconsequential to value for each of you in, a, in, a, in, a, in exchange. Um, I don't know if I could ever replace any individual person at my company, but I know I could always replace their job function. And what I mean by that is if I can't replace them, that means they have you know, this value that's intangible. Um, and so I think that um, growing your network, and this is going to hurt for a lot of people who are, especially during COVID and all that sort of stuff, and they're sheltered away, but it's hard to build your network and so on just social media. You need personal interaction. So uh, another thing I would recommend is, uh, you know, to my second point is you got to be engaging with other people um, so that they understand that you can build a network and, and look for what you can do for them, um, not just what they can do for you. And I know it sounds cliche, but I spent no, a lot of my- That's a critical, critical point that I think many people, maybe they know it intellectually, but they don't know it instinctively. And yeah, I think the answer, the question, and I even in sales um, always ask this one question, which is, uh, can you help me or can I help you? Which is, which turns your conversation into student teacher rather than buyer seller. Um, so help is something that you can, you know, advise people on or provide and you feel good about it. And, and I always, there was this great sales trainer. His name was MJ Hoffman, st still alive. Great guy, trainer to, to t Twitter and Google and all those companies. And he taught me something really interesting that I had been doing, but I didn't know why. Um, and he said, you know, um, as a person who's trying to grow a company, stop trying to sound so smart all the time when you're trying to get along with people and build a network. Every time you're not authentic it's a it's apparent and so he goes the, the simplest example is if you were traveling in a city and you wanted to know where the aquarium was you would tap somebody on the shoulder or say excuse me i just wanted to know if you knew where the aquarium was you wouldn't tell him your name you wouldn't ask him how it's going you wouldn't try to build all this weird rapport and build credibility and tell them that you've been in the city five thousand times and you normally don't ask people this question but you don't do any of this weird stuff you just ask a normal question and a person is happy to help you or they're not and the next person helps you. Um, and this, this reaction uh, and this change in, a, in, in dynamic is something that most people don't understand. Most people are selling um, themselves or selling a, a product or whatever way too hard. And uh, it comes across as inauthentic. So we talked, talked a lot about authentic, authenticity today. So I, I think authenticity and, and efficiency are probably the, the primary uh, focus of this conversation. But my experience has always been I'm so authentic that I'm almost, you know, I'm either likable or extremely abrasive uh, because people aren't accustomed to the way that I operate. But that's okay. I don't, I don't want to be like everybody else. I guess the, the difference is, uh, you know, kind of ended on this type of a note, which is if you're not going to fit in, you might as well stand out. I love that. And, uh, and, I, and that's sort of something I pride myself on. Well, you stand out. There's no question about it. You've been a terrific teacher for us today, Danny. Thank you so much. I'm going to end it with this because you're just, you just really just nailed it. This is the type of stuff that people in small business need to hear and uh, need to feel comfortable with, with. And so thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. No problem. 
I, I hope that uh, I inspired at least one person to do something outside of their comfort zone today. And uh, besides me, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go cook for your wife, man. <laughs> She's rolling uh, eyes right now. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, Joel. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Stay safe and check out pearlcbd.com. I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise, thank you. Danny, I can't thank you enough. I found you to be a fascinating guest and I hope my listeners did too. I want to thank my listeners for paying attention to Small BizCast, for following it, and for sharing it with their friends. You can follow us, too, by giving us a like on our Facebook or our Instagram page, or by subscribing on any of the podcast services. If you have business questions or are thinking about sponsoring our show, check out our website at smallbizcast.com. And for all you small business owners out there, remember, hot dog, it's a wonderful life. Over the many years I've worked at Mercury Document Imaging, we've been solving business problems using technology, and now we have this new reality. Employees are working from home, and companies are trying to stay relevant and efficient and have accountability for their employees while doing so. The big problem is that the cyber criminals are working from home too, and they have been doing this longer and know what they're doing and know what vulnerabilities you've created by kind of throwing this together quickly. So now that it looks like we're going to be here for a while, it's time to think about this. I want you to reach out to my company. We'll either help you or refer you to a partner that can help you, depending on what the vulnerability is. But the first thing to do is start with an assessment, make sure that you're protected, and then find the weak link. So please call us, 818-782-1221. My extension is 25913, but call anybody at the office. We're all happy to help you, and we want to make sure that we don't have any more problems than we already have. Thanks. Can you imagine having an idea for an alternate type of eating, new food that hasn't been on the market yet? and you take it all the way from concept to the shelves in a grocery store. Can you imagine doing that in this day and age? Well, my next guest on Small BizCast is Asaya, and she'll tell us what she did and how she did it with her business, Shroom Meats. She's got a meat substitute made out of mushrooms, which is unbelievably good and healthy for you as well. Here's a sneak peek. It's just amazing how every culture is brought together with food. And most important thing too, I, I got to see the nature and how much it's changed over time, you know, from our own consumerism. And um, that's something I really wanted to make a change. Small BizCast drops every other Monday. Follow us on our socials for business tidbits and special offers and send your feedback to jv at smallbizcast.com. Thank you again to our sponsors, Mercury Document Imaging and the Small Business Law Firm. We couldn't do this without you. And of course, thanks to my producer and my son, Charlie Volk of Mr. Thrive Media. Couldn't do without him either. Thank you very much for listening. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life.